Welcome to Only Girl on the Job Site. I'm Renee Beery, a luxury interior designer and construction expert. Educated at the New York School of Interior Design and employed by AD Top 100 firms, I have created a niche expertise in managing large-scale construction projects from renovations to new builds over the past three decades. Today, I'm on a mission to instill confidence in designers through this podcast and my online course, The Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management. Whether you are new to construction management or a seasoned designer like me, I am all about transparency and tactical advice for fellow designers. On this podcast, I share actionable steps, practical tips, real-life examples, and behind-the-scenes tricks that I use while managing construction projects. Not only will they keep them on schedule and on budget, but will give you the confidence to know that these projects will end successfully, protecting your profit as well as leading to a pipeline full of incredible referrals. If you've been searching for support and advice on construction management to grow your skills and confidence so you can avoid the mistakes that I've made in the past, then you're in the right place. Before we get started, I want to thank each of you for being a part of this community. Your listens, subscribes, and reviews are what allows me to make this show great week after week. I've got lots of plans for growing this podcast, and that's enabled by you. Make sure to follow the podcast so that you get notifications of new episodes so you don't miss a thing. If you enjoy this episode, spread the word. Leave a review and tell your interior design friends how much they can learn from this show. Hello, listeners. I have some exciting news to share with you today. As you know, my signature course for interior designers has been a great success, empowering countless designers to enhance their skills and elevate their careers. Well, I have an amazing update to share with you. I am thrilled to announce that the signature course has undergone a complete transformation and has been rebranded as the Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management. Don't worry, though. The core lessons that made the course so successful and transformative for designers remain intact. I've taken the valuable insights and experiences shared by our talented designers and enhanced them even further. But that's not all. I've also added some exciting new content to provide an even fuller understanding of running construction projects for your valued clients. The primary goal with this rebranding and expansion is to build confidence among interior designers like you. I understand that successfully managing construction projects is a crucial aspect to your work, and I want to equip you with the skills, knowledge, and strategies to excel in this area. With the Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management, you'll delve deeper into the intricacies of running construction projects, gain insight from a seasoned professional, and unlock strategies to navigate the challenges that may arise during the process. I'm so excited about this fresh chapter in the course, and I'm confident that the added content will empower you to provide an even more comprehensive and outstanding service to your clients. By becoming a master of construction management, you'll not only elevate your skills, but also enhance your professional reputation within the industry. So to show my gratitude for your unwavering support, I'm giving away a free membership to one lucky designer on the email list. 
If you're not on my email list yet, don't worry. You still have a chance to win this valuable gift. Simply head over to my website, devinyedesign.com, and sign up for the newsletter. By joining this vibrant community of amazing designers, you'll not only gain access to the valuable insights and industry updates, but also be automatically entered for a chance to win this exclusive giveaway. Imagine the possibilities that await as you dive into the Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management. You'll have the opportunity to enhance your construction management skills, learn from an experienced professional, and gain the confidence needed to excel in your projects. So whether you're a seasoned designer looking to expand your knowledge or an aspiring designer eager to gain a competitive edge, this free membership could be the key to unlocking your full potential. So what are you waiting for? Head over to devinyedesign.com and sign up for my newsletter today to secure your chance at winning this valuable gift. For longtime listeners, you know I'm always forewarning designers that there will be issues and surprises that come up on job sites. And I find just knowing to expect it makes things easier to get through. Today, I want to break down different categories I commonly see happen and how to resolve them successfully. Let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Today's topic is one that just keeps coming up over the last couple of weeks and seems to be the most urgent question I'm getting, whether that's inside the VIP coaching calls found inside my course, The Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management, or inside coaching calls I'm honored to be a part of in Michelle Lynn's bakery course. And that makes sense because we are constantly facing and fearing problems going on the job site. And again, like I mentioned, they will happen. So the reality is fear will make things harder. If you are constantly fearing when the next ball will drop, when an issue will pop up, you will find yourself frazzled all the time overthinking everything. And that is never something that is going to prove successful on any project. So I wanted to break down the types of problems I see come up typically on job sites that I've been discussing with the designers in the last couple of weeks. I basically see four different categories of where things can go wrong. One is with the contractor or the team that you're working with. Two is the client. Three, unforeseen architectural issues or structural issues. And four, product and specification issues. Now, there still may be other issues along the way, but these are the general categories I see and work through on my own projects, and I think valuable to share with each of you. So let's start with contractor and team issues. Now, the annoying part, frankly, about our business is we don't always get to build the team. I wish I could tell you, you get to a certain point in your career and you can always build the team. What I can tell you is you get to a certain point in your career and you can more often than not build the team. And trust me, that is a luxury. I can't tell you how relieved and frankly excited I get over jobs that I can bring my A-team with me. One, because I know there's no learning curve. We know how each other work. We know the likes and dislikes, and it's just hit the ground running. And frankly, that is what I tell clients when they're looking to either build their own team or have me bring in my team. But don't get me wrong, 
I only refer my team. My clients still have to go through the process of interviewing and talking to them, running down their references if they want something beyond mine, and hiring them directly. And don't get me wrong, issues still come up on those projects, but it is less and less likely to be with the contractor and team if you are the one that's building it. So more often than you'd like, you're going to be put on a team filled with people you either don't know any of them or maybe know one or two. And the more you do work in your community, you might actually luck into knowing at least one or two guys on the team. And I find that immediately helps elevate your place with the team because I hate to admit it, but you know the value of one guy saying, oh yeah, I've worked with Renee before. She's good. She's legit. And while we shouldn't need to rely on that, it is awfully nice to get that free pass right from the start. So what kind of contractor issues can come up? A lot of the time, it comes down to communication. One, maybe the contractor isn't looping you in the way you intend to be involved or the way you requested to be involved. So let's say you're having weekly meetings and the contractor is making decisions in between those meetings and not dialing you in, or they're talking to the client directly, which is a challenge when the homeowner is living in the house while the construction's going on, right? I mean, the homeowner wanders into the space. Oh, hey, Joe, what are you working on this morning? And Joe goes into whatever he's working on. And oh, by the way, he found an issue. And how would you like to resolve it? And the client goes, oh, I think that is the right answer. And then you may hear about it later and you think, oh my God, no, that won't work because of X, Y, and Z that's coming down the line when we get to that part of the construction process. So contractor not looping you in sometimes can be intentional and sometimes it's just an easy thing to do, right? A contractor needs an answer. That homeowner was in the room, boom, answer, move forward. Now that isn't an intentional slight to the designer on the project, but it is an unintentional issue that needs to be addressed. Now, if you have the contractor that's not looping you in intentionally because they don't see your value on that project, that's a whole nother level of issue that has to also be addressed immediately. Now, I've talked to a couple of designers lately and they have told me issues like this have come up. And what I found is they have let it simmer for weeks and weeks and weeks. And now they've tried a few things on their own, whether it's over communicating through email or whether it's making passive aggressive remarks on sites, you know, in their mind, thinking that this will resolve the issue. And what I want to empower every designer listening is to take this head on. You need to understand that you are an equal member of this team. And so if you are not being included in decision making process or updates that will affect future work that's coming, then you need to actually have the direct conversation with the contractor. And if it makes you more comfortable to have that client be present, then do that. But to take that lesser passive role confirms for that contractor that you have a lesser role on this project. Now, (laughs) I'm not going to tell you that it's the most enjoyable conversation to have. And I'm also not going to tell you it always works. But you still need to do it. You are an equal member on this team. The client hired you and the client hired the contractor. You are not working for the contractor. You are working for the client. And that is honestly my best tip and one I lean on all the time. 
the contractor may say, oh, I'm going to put the light switch here, for instance. And I say, oh, you know what? Gosh, I can see why you want it there. But I also know that my client is a lefty. And so I think you'd be better served on the other side of the door jam or whatever the case may be. But I will absolutely bring my client into my conversations in particular when they're not there, in order to remind the team that we work for the client and the client wins every argument, right? It is their home, it is their investment, and it is their team that they've hired to bring their dreams to life. So these conversations can go many different ways. If the contractor is not looping you in unintentionally, it's an easier conversation, but also make it easy for them to reach you. So if, for instance, you have an email communication with the guy, but you see him texting on sites, immediately ask to be added to his text stream, right? Create a group chat if that's the easiest thing to do. Find commonalities between you so that you are also in on all the conversations that you need to be a part of. Now, I don't believe you need to be a part of every single conversation, but there are a whole lot of ones that you do need to be a part of, and that needs to be detailed out with the contractor. Now, if the contractor is intentionally leaving you out, it is a much steeper hill to climb, and one I have done more often than I care to think about and boils my blood when I do think about them because I didn't always win. Honestly, I always improved the situation, but I never got to that equal standing, and you may find yourself in that same situation. And my answer to that is, it's going to be a more of a grind doing that project than other projects. And for that, I am sorry, because like I just said, I have definitely been there. The problem is, again, you work for the client. You always have the option to quit, but that is not a path I would take lightly. And to be fair, quitting the job has ramifications beyond just that one job right? We're always talking about industry partner relationships and referrals. We're talking about client referrals and all sorts of things. So I don't want that to be something that you consider as a viable option unless it is truly out of control and therefore probably more people will be leaving that project than just you. So these conversations should take place in person if at all possible. And I know I'm feeling people cringing right now because that's not easy to do. But I find in person, it is much easier to read the situation, read between the lines of what that contractor is telling you. And I have had situations where I thought I was being left out intentionally. Come to find out when I spoke to the contractor in person, it was quite obvious that he just was trying to do something fast and easy. And leaving me out of the loop had nothing to do with me or his opinion of me. So that's why I always suggest in person. We are so good at reading people. It's what we do. It's what we excel at. And it truly helps decipher the situation between the contractor and the team. Okay. So we also have issues with clients on our jobs. I mean, that's a reality that we all need to face, but it is also one we're more often used to because we've been decorating over the years and have dealt with client issues. So some of the problems that can come up on a job site for a client are that they're anxious, that their budget is running out. And that happens. Uh, a lot of times clients stretch in order to get everything they possibly want in their project. Sometimes there are unforeseen issues, which we'll talk about in a minute, that truly are expensive and blow through budgets, as well as that additional money that they've set aside for that very purpose. Then there are times where 
the client's just not understanding the process. And that is also producing anxiety and sadly, sometimes grumbling, tipping into anger. And then lastly, clients changing their mind a lot. Oh, I really wanted this in blue, but now I need it in green and everything comes to a screeching halt. So how do we take these three issues on? Well, the good news is most of these issues can either be avoided or lessened by very clear communication from day one right so if you have a client that is anxious about their budget running out that's best handled in the beginning when you are creating the budgets and yes we are often put in uncomfortable situations asking very personal details about people's finances And we all know that finances is a very sensitive topic for everyone. I have worked with billionaires and I have worked with people who are comfortable, but by no means wealthy and everybody in between. And frankly, none of them have ever felt comfortable talking money with me. The problem is you need to get them over that hurdle fast and in the very beginning so that you can be their advocate throughout the project. And that's what I tell them. I can't truly help them if I don't know their threshold for change orders, right? And that's what it is. It's a threshold of pain for change orders. And change orders, if you're not aware, is finding a surprise on a project or changing their mind, which we'll talk about in a second, and paying an additional sum of money above and beyond what was contracted. So it's important for you to assure your client that this type of information is confidential. When I had a lot of employees, I didn't share it with them. Truly, I didn't feel it was their business. I was the one at the top. I was the one making the design decisions. I was the one on the job site making informed decisions based on my knowledge. And therefore, my staff didn't need to know. I truly believe it is something you need to have your client understand that you can guard that as personal information because that is what they are hiring you for. And without that information about their financial thresholds, you are basically working blind to a degree and you need to explain that to a client. Now, the funny thing about it is a lot of my clients have very robust budgets and they still don't want to talk to me about their finances. But when they understand the reason why it's important, they tell me their numbers and I'd already come up with that, give or take a little bit. I mean, let's be honest, we know what things cost. If you've been managing construction projects, you've got a pretty good idea of what budget they need to be building whatever it is they're building. So again, if that's an important component and you need to use that in your discussion with your client, Go for it. Say, I already have a pretty good idea of what this project will cost, but I need to know what beyond that is feasible and something you're comfortable with. Because having a client anxious that the budget is running out two-thirds of the way through the project is not fun, people. It just isn't. Now, whether more things eat up the budget for that last third of the project doesn't matter. They're constantly worrying. They're constantly bringing it up. They're constantly scrutinizing everything. And that is not an enjoyable way to finish any project of any length. So it behooves you to truly have this conversation, break it out for them, explain, like I just said, the why, 
and encourage them to trust you with critical pieces to this process so that you can guard their money and manage it in a frugal and successful way that everybody will be happy with in the end. Now, I touched on the process. So there are a lot of clients who get very frustrated during projects because they don't understand the process. Again, good news. This can be handled through clear and transparent communication in the very beginning of every job. Now, I tell all of my clients over the last 30 years, I have seen the emotional stages of a construction project break out into four categories. And I go over them every time with my clients and they laugh at me. They go, oh my gosh, Renee, that so won't be me. I'm so glad you told me. Yep, I hear you, but that won't be me. And every single time, I kid you not, at the end, they're like, oh, thank God you talked to me about this, Renee. I had no idea. But, you know, knowing what the stages were made them more manageable. And again, that is your role. Your role is to get your client through a construction project emotionally. Now, some of you may have just scoffed at that and say, no, no, no. I am there to bring my designs to life and deliver the design intent that I created for this client. Yeah, that too. Your role is to get that client through that project emotionally and physically. And if you don't, your designs, as fabulous as they will be, will not create the referral business that you will want from that client. It just won't. They'll have people come in the house say, oh my gosh, you know, Anne, this is so beautiful. They'll think, oh yeah, thank you. It was hell getting there. Oh my gosh, really? Like who did it? Well, I mean, Renee designed it and isn't that pretty? But my God, I'm not sure I'd ever do it again. Now, if you're laughing because you've heard friends say this to you, because I sure have, that means their team did not support them through the project emotionally. That means all they did was produce what they designed. And obviously that is the goal, but it's only part of the goal. So you need to have your client on board and understanding that there is an emotional journey to every construction project. And pro tip, there's an emotional journey for you as well. Every single time. And knowing what to anticipate makes the journey smoother and more manageable. And I just can't tell designers enough times to not miss this step when setting your client up for success. It is not just about your designs. And then, of course, clients change their minds. It happens all the time. Frankly, I don't think it happens intentionally. I have one client in particular, she truly cannot see in 3D. I have worked with her for probably close to two decades, and I now know it. Every time she can look at a drawing, she can pour over a drawing, absorb the drawing, have the drawing, explain to her, look at elevations, look at floor plans. And until it becomes real, she will say things like, oh, wait, oh, God, okay, so that's how that window fits into that part of the corner. Yeah, that is, ooh, that seems a little tight. Uh, yeah, okay. Meanwhile, she had for six months seen that window in an elevation and on a floor plan. There just are times where you're going to get a client like that. Now, I know this about her. And can I tell you that 3D rendering has been a game changer for her? But even still, there are clients that until they see, touch, and smell it, they really can't appreciate 
that that's what they decided on. So I have some designers who make all their specifications online, right? They'll take all their plumbing and pick it out from the websites. I caution you in doing that because there are going to be times where you have a client who says, oh, huh, it's not what I thought it was in the picture. Hmm. That becomes a next problem that you're going to have to solve. Now, is it, quote, your fault? Yeah, it's debatable. I find that you need to be able to see as many things in person, touch and feel, turn on, turn off, whatever the case may be, when you're doing your specifications as humanly possible. Now, I said as many as. There is no way for your client to see everything that they will be using in their project. There just isn't. Second best is find a product from that manufacturer so they can at least see the quality of things or the color or whatever the case may be. But the clients that make the least changes throughout a project are the ones that are the most involved in the beginning with the selection process. And again, you will find clients that will change your minds regardless, and you will have to decide how many times you will allow them to make these changes. So I have some design friends who allow one set of changes. That's it. No more, no less. That is hardcore. I understand the why. I try to keep mine to that, but I'm not hard and fast on that rule. It truly is case by case. That being said, I am always in the beginning and throughout reminding them that making changes creates invoices, creates restocking fees. I can't tell you how many of my clients are like, what's a restocking fee? These are educated professionals and they're asking me what a restocking fee is and about how much. And when I say, oh, anywhere between 25 and 30%, sometimes higher, they go, wait, what? Yeah, that keeps them from changing their minds real fast. And it also allows them to make really good decisions in the beginning. We live in a world of Amazon. Two days, I can have it at my doorstep. I can return it for free with free shipping, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, you need to explain to your client that that does not exist in our world. Because why would they know that unless you inform them? So you can control how many times your client will make changes on a project. You can't control how many times they ask for changes, but you can control the number of changes that actually take place. And it behooves you to take charge of that early and often so that your project continues in a smooth fashion. And then there are issues that come up with products and specifications that you have done. Like we just talked about, right? There's plumbing, there's electric, there's all sorts, flooring, you name it, countertops, the works. And you will be in a position to be specifying a lot of these decorative items. And I'm going to tell you now, you will make mistakes. And I can say that because I have made them myself. I'm going to admit, I still make them. Now, I make them much less frequently than I ever did in my previous years. But yes, mistakes happen. When you are working on so many details, if you're working on a new build, the hundreds and hundreds of details, you will be in charge of specifying and managing. It is unreasonable to think that you're going to nail it out of the park every single time. Now, I'm rooting for you. I mean, hell, I'm rooting for myself each and every time. But we are human, and sometimes things fall through the cracks. So that becomes an issue when you discover it. And I think that's what compounds the problem 
right? So let's say it's plumbing and you are building a new kitchen. Well, plumbing goes in pretty far down the pike. Now, the good news is the contractor and plumber should have reviewed all of your specifications, but I'm going to tell you, and I've been talking to a few designers recently, they don't always catch problems either. Now, do they share in some of the blame? Yes, for the most part. However, the buck stops with the person that specified it. So if you specified a sink and it won't fit into the base cabinet, it's happened. Guess what? You now have a sink that may have been sitting somewhere for three, four months. Who knows how long ago you ordered it and it was in stock and it was delivered to the site awaiting installation. There are going to be times where things like that happen. So there are going to be times where you are going to be in a financial situation to fix a problem that, unfortunately, you created. And why I always encourage designers to put in a little bit of the whoopsie into their budgets when they are pricing out their projects. Now, for those of you listening who price hourly, like I always did, that's where the markups will come in. And why I'm always telling designers to not pass on their costs to clients because the markups will cover all or some of the mistake that's made. So those of you doing flat fee, you bake that into your original price for the project because mistakes will happen. You will make some mistakes. The goal is to make as few as possible. I'd love to say the goal is to make none, but we're human. And I'm realistic. And I have a lot of experience saying some will happen. Now, it could be something that's 50 bucks, but that's still a mistake. So it's still in that column and you still need to cover it. The other are product delays. I mean, hell, I just installed four leather chairs that we waited 10 months for. Now, yes, of course, we all know that it was a COVID delay and that one got caught up in it. But frankly, a lot of my guys are still behind. They're much better, but they're still behind. And so when you're specifying product, you need to always take that into consideration. Now, the good news is that was furniture. And yeah, a room can sit empty until furniture arrives. But if my specification that was 10 months long was the faucet, that can be a problem if it's the only one in the kitchen, right? And then what do you do about it? So for instance, sub-zero refrigerators were a year to get. I think they've slightly improved. But really, a year for a refrigerator? I don't know too many clients that can live without a refrigerator. So you know what we were doing? We were buying cheapy ones. Actually, there's a scratch and dent near me. And we were buying scratch and dent one-offs and putting them in the cavities because they were smaller than the sub-zeros. So that costs money. I mean, a fraction of what a sub-zero costs, but it still was an item that needed to be purchased in order to get the job through. And then guess what? At the end, hmm, there's an extra fridge. Now, the most recent one we did, that one's going to get moved to the garage. So the client ended up paying for it. But that was luck and negotiated in the beginning. So all of these issues can be pretty easy to deal with. And some of the issues can really derail a project. But here's the thing, and what I want the biggest takeaway from this episode is that the golden rule of construction is there is nothing that can't be fixed. Let me repeat that. There truly is nothing that can't 
be fixed on a project. Now, in the moment, you may not know the fix. I get that. And you may not like the cost of the fix. I get that too. And sadly, you may not like the aesthetic value of that fix. But there truly is nothing that can't be fixed. And I lead with that every time with my clients. A problem comes up on the site, I immediately hit it head on. Call my client, tell them what's going on. You can hear their anxiety raising in the phone call. And you say, I got this. There isn't anything we can't fix. Let me find a solution and I'll get back to you with your options. And every single time my client's like, oh, okay, get back to me as soon as you can. Now, are they still anxious? Sure, because they don't know. Is it going to cost them money? Is it going to cost a delay in time? Is it going to cost them in both? Are they going to like it, right? All sorts of things are going through their head. But the calmer you stay, the calmer your client stays. And that calm creates, for lack of a better word, a safe space to come up with the most creative and economical solution as quickly as possible to get that project moving forward again. And that's what I want all of you to focus on. So when a client calls you and tells you about a problem, don't freak out. There's no need. If you need to freak out, get off the phone and freak out in your office, call a friend, call me, freak out there. But if you freak out on that phone call, your problem became a massive issue. And that client is all of a sudden not trusting you or the process. So when a client calls you and says, oh my God, Renee, I just walked into the room and the contractor said, this is wrong and you found the wrong sink and it won't fit into the cabinet and oh my God, oh my God. And you think, okay. And honestly, this is what I would do. Take a deep breath. You can say, oh shit in your head and say, okay, I appreciate you letting me know. Let me get a hold of the contractor, find out exactly what's going on. I'll get back to you immediately with the resolution to this issue. I can guarantee you that client will stop dead in their track. You will hear crickets on the other line because they're expecting you to meet their freak out. Don't meet it. After listening to today's episode, you know that shit goes wrong on projects. Now you know a lot of the areas where that can happen. Be aware of it and use your power of communication to control them. Now, I'm not saying you're not buying a new sink. I'm not saying you have to pay the cabinet maker to alter the base cabinet. I'm not saying any of that because we don't know the set of circumstances. But you are much better served by keeping that client calm and showing your confidence in your abilities as the expert on this project to make this resolution not only work, but work well. So you then take the time, you reach out to the contractor, you find out exactly what's going on. Because trust me, it's a whisper down the lane situation. And more times than not, that client has exaggerated something, probably unintentionally, because they don't always understand what's going on. So you do need to take your own deep breath, find out the facts, then move forward with a solution that will work best for the client and the project. So I hope this helps. I would love to tell you, you will have a problem-free project every single time, but I'd be lying to you and that doesn't serve any of us. So I know the truth can hurt, but I also know that anticipating and knowing the parameters of the issues that can happen make them so much less scary when they do happen and allows you to go, 
Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. I remember this. I heard about that. Okay. I got to take a deep breath. I got to put my ducks in a row and figure out the next best steps. That's where your confidence is going to shine through and everyone on the team will see it, acknowledge it, and appreciate you all the more. And lastly, the course I created for interior designers called the Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management takes all of these areas into a deeper dive, breaking down all the steps you need to manage these issues as they come up on your sites. I highly encourage you, if you are looking for more support as you are managing your client's project, this course was built for you. Not only are the lessons going to show you the very steps, checklists, and questions to go through, but there's a community inside the course that gives you the on-demand help that we all need managing these projects. So as always, feel free to reach out to me directly through email or DM with any questions you may have. I can't thank you enough for your time today. I wish you success on all of your projects and I look forward to our next time together. Thank you for listening and I hope you heard something that you can apply to a project today. If you're ready to increase your construction projects in your business, check out the details on my signature course, The Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management. It's a six-part digital course that will save you a three-year learning curve, get you profitable, bring in an income and lifestyle that makes sense for you by learning the top strategies, what works and what doesn't, building your confidence so you're no longer paddling to stay afloat or worse, learning how to manage construction on a client's project. Through the course, I'm handing over 30 years of top strategies and advice. Head to my website, devinyedesign.com, for more details on the Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management and become educated and empowered for your next construction project.